0: bakers fresh for everyone hello and welcome to the social psychic radio show featuring jason zuck jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004 this show will cover a variety of topics relating to spirituality mediumship self-improvement and intuitive guidance whatever interests you remember that we are all here to share and learn sit back and get ready to socialize with the social psychic Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure that I have the opportunity of interviewing special guest Gabriella Juros-Landa about her new book, The Transcendent Wisdom of the Maya. This particular book is very interesting to me based on the fact that in terms of our society, we always look at history from one lens. And in this particular case, I'm excited to have Ms. Juros on the show to share her personal experiences with the Maya tradition. In particular, as an anthropologist, Gabriella has spent a significant period of time in Guatemala in order to provide us with an experiential account of ancient Maya spiritualism and practices. On her own level, she can provide the initiation process that she experienced to become a Maya shaman priestess, including the ceremonies, the prayers, ritual dance, divination, and the presence of numinous forces, as well as the transmission of ancient knowledge. Gabrielle explains the foundational spirit wisdom of the Maya calendar as a living entity, its cycles of time, and the significance of the counting of the days, which helps keep time alive itself. And she also examines the power of dance and Maya ceremonies communication with one's ancestors through the sacred fire. Illustrating how contemporary Maya life is suffused with spiritual tradition and celebration, Gabriela shares the teachings of the Maya to help us all learn from the ancient wisdom of their beliefs and worldview. Because to truly understand the Maya, one must think like them. It's with great pleasure that I bring Gabriela to the show. Welcome to the show, Gabriela.
1: Thank you. Hello, Jason.
0: <laughs> great to have you on today. One of the things I really enjoy about this podcast and this show is that I get so many different viewpoints. And Mm -hmm. when you're on, for example, today, I've always been fascinated by the Maya. I've, I've, you know, 2012 passed and came and went, and everyone thought at that point that since the Maya calendar was supposedly at an end time, that that would reflect something that they might have known that we didn't realize that the world might end. And there were a lot of those shows in 2012 that went on that premise. In terms mm-hmm. of your own personal experiences, I want to touch on your background. I know that you're an anthropologist in training and education, is that correct?
1: Yes, correct.
0: And you were from the Czech Republic you air from. Is that, is that also, I know you lived over that way and that you what? escaped communism mm-hmm. to, to live mm-hmm, in Germany mm-hmm. and that you did your studies in, uh, in Germany and eventually uh, at some point in the future, I should say to simplify for our purposes today, you had the opportunity of actually going to Guatemala and personally studying, uh, becoming a daykeeper and spiritual guide, and, and, and mm-hmm. getting entrenched in traditional Mayan philosophy, spirituality, and culture. And yeah. from that perspective, I would, I'm excited about this because I think not many people can share their personal experiences as a shaman priestess.
1: First right. Off, I so uh, especially not in the academia, uh, for many decades, it's really uh, even even anthropologists who had experiences with uh, the native people that they um, that they studied or that they experienced, they would never write about it. And in that sense, it's maybe a blessing that. Um, I have had a little bit of a hard time in in academia because originally I studied art history. And when I went to Guatemala, I mean, uh, anthropology was my minor. And when I went to Guatemala, I discovered the art there. And since I was always interested in in patterns and in, in, yeah, structures, patterns of something, which is why I studied art history in the first place, um, I really was interested to see the cultural patterns of the, not only the Maya, but Guatemalan, the mixture with the Western culture already. So the whole, uh, spectrum of cultural patterns, uh, as history, you know, as, as history reflected itself in the art. And when I came back to Europe and, you know, it was a very different time than today in, in, in academia when, when, um, I think it's much more open and students can cross cross different disciplines, et cetera, et cetera. Back then it was not like that. So when I say back then, then I'm talking about the uh, end of yeah 1990s. Um, So my professor said, oh, no, in art history, we do Europe and maybe United States. So I switched majors and although I was already going to write my thesis, I switched majors and studied all the anthropology, all the six years of anthropology again. And um, there they also weren't that open because they said, oh no, anthropology is politics, medicinal plants, uh, social interests, but not art. So I left I left the academia altogether and it took about 10 years until I went back and actually did at least my master's in, um, in city anthropology. Then I was already living in New York at that time. Uh, so in a way, it's a blessing because I don't owe to anybody, anything to anybody. I don't have to be responsive to anybody who does not, who, or who's afraid to uh, trespass that threshold of uh, what anthropology in my mind really should be like. And that is understanding other cultures and um, maybe even, or not maybe, that's really one of my premises, um, trying to recover what the industri- industrialized societies have lost and what, what once was our own as well. I mean, it's not that that many centuries ago that we had the knowledge of fire, leave-alone plants and, um, and, and, and many, many other understandings of uh, the cosmos. And we were just much more people of the cosmos than we are today in the technological era.
0: I can understand that. So, I'll, I'll, interesting, as I find it, looking at your your journey, because I consider every, we're all on a journey and I feel like this book describes your spiritual journey as well as your, your quest for knowledge of the Maya culture and traditions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, I looked at your book and it's broken into three parts. Part one is end of the, begin, and the end of the beginning and it's dated from 2012. And in part two is Diary of Life with the Maya. And part three is the spiritual journey. And so my first question is, what prompted you to divide your book into three parts? And what was your goal with focusing it in these three divisions. These three sections. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, when you when you research something over years, then of course there could be even more divisions or the book could even be much longer. Um, so I had to somehow make it reasonable to take the reader into the experience, which was my main my main goal, not to write something abstract or academic, but take the reader with me. And even address, uh, instead of addressing the academia only, really addressing people that today are so interested in the, um, in the spiritual part of other cultures and are open to learning. And, uh, that is really a wonderful premise into the future. Um, so I wanted to write for those people. Um, the three, um, sort of in the first Part I wanted to introduce the uh, the area where I was uh, researching and the the whole uh, dynamic how I got involved and um, in the second part dive in a little bit more how you know how I lived with uh, even common people and how I got there how I got around and what we did were what we were doing etc. And then the third part is the day to day um uh, process of uh, towards the initiation, so the ceremonies and um how <clears throat> how they how they work every day now, having said that uh it's not quite that clear cut because during the narrative, I still um get into I don't want to say theoretical things, but more abstract thoughts or explanations of certain things. So while I describe an experience, uh, I may just as well, you know, get to a point that needs a little bit more uh, explaining.
0: Okay. Let me ask you this. When you went to Guatemala, and I know in your first chapter, you talk about being invited to attend the new era uh, I guess it's a ceremony. Can you describe a little about that first experience and wh- what, how you were invited, and what you first thought about attending this event and delving into Maya tradition and history?
1: <laughs> uh, well, it's not. It was not the first time because I already lived in Guatemala six years uh, okay. long prior to that, even before I came to okay. New York. It actually took another about. 10, Ten years before before this uh, experience to go uh, to be invited there in 2012. Um, the, what's interesting the 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 administrative town of Chichicastenango is the uh, is the center of the K'iche' Maya, which is one of the largest groups of the Maya. And uh, so the ceremonies uh, obviously were held in that town. Mm, the um, the leader had specifically a, uh, a plaza built, which really has not happened since the ancient Maya, because obviously the uh, Maya today and in the last uh, decades since the um, since the Europeans invaded um, were suppressed and they could not build their own. Their own um, pyramids, buildings, or whatever. So, as far as I'm concerned, this is really the very, very first grand construction that a that has been done since the ancient times. And also, the Mayan leader is required on a very important date, like um, the 21st uh, of December uh, of 2012. Uh, represented, he he has to build something. So all the pyramids that uh, and these stellas, et cetera, that we see in archaeology, have been have been built to some important date. Um, the well, the more funny thing is that I have been in that town many years ago um, while living in Guatemala, uh, and um, I came there during I don't remember what it was, but it must have been some some festivities, some ritual time, maybe maybe around the solstice or something like Easter uh, or similar because we arrived at night and uh, you must imagine the uh, the towns are not lit like uh, Los Angeles, are they? So it was very dark, everything was very obscure and because it was a, festivity, a time of festivity, uh, these processions came through the narrow street. Uh, the center of Chichicastenango is ba- ma- mainly is almost completely occupied by a market, nearing the, meaning these little stalls are all over. And they and in between are very narrow streets where these processions can pass. And after behind the processions, meaning uh, people carrying the uh, the icons. Um we are along you know where many many people were follow were following this profession, and it was very, very crowded and everybody was dark skinned there were no white people at all as far as I could see now the icons were you know were partly adorned with feathers, and um I mean everything was just very different from what I knew until until then and that you know i had already studied uh, studied anthropology and all kinds of different things but um to be there and the smells and and the sounds it was very loud uh with music and and all that was really scary back then and today it's kind of funny to me because even when i look at the photographs or when i go back today uh, or look at photographs and other books. I recognize the people. I mean I know their names. I know <laughs> the people. <laughs> the very the yeah. very same people that, that scared me back then. So uh, the December 2012 obviously was a uh was a very big um ceremonies days and so there were five days of celebration. Uh all ceremonies meaning fire ceremonies at day, at night and uh police processions and uh, um yeah, and so forth um mm, foreign dignitaries were were invited um ambassadors from uh korea mm, holland uh, Netherlands, and other countries, and of course also the national uh political dignitaries were were invited, so it was really a big deal. Um, now I really describe it in the book very much. Um, I don't want to go into into more more detail uh, sure. at the moment. Um, uh, what I can say is that. The, because you, I think you asked that in the beginning, although it's been it's mm. really been answered uh, now. That of course the end of the world on the one, the idea of the end of the world on the one hand was a hype by Western media, but I have to tell you I think the the Maya themselves they were not sure what's going to happen because everything depends on people in this case the, in in their world the Maya act uh in civil and spiritual life so if people behave so to say then they then the um, hope that the uh, higher ups the numinous uh, beings and the the system that sort of rules our life on earth would be more benevolent than if they're not but of course nobody was sure were we really good were we not good so I remember the uh uh the leader, Don Tomas Cabo Mateo, uh after these five days uh he said uh and I was in Quiche, his right hand uh, his um, his assistant uh Don Manuel Chiloch uh translated into Spanish um, that he said Well what I saw from all the fires uh, that were done during the five days is that things should move uh forward well uh the intentions were that were put into the fire which is which is very important it 's about the intentions that are being put put in uh were positive, and uh the outcome was positive, even though it rained the fire did not go off, and uh so that was his take on so you know simplified i can only say it and of course he did not go into more detail his his uh, take on that the future should be a, a good one well we will see certainly that date of the 21st of december 2012 closed a uh, cycle of 5125 uh, years which is a very very big cycle and uh so it was significant you know and it and that was the new beginning of uh of a new era of new 5125 years mm-hmm. so the end of the calendar there's never an end because the, the maya look at time as cyclic not as linear so there's really never an end only certain cycles may may end and that was the case those 5125 years And just because the calendar was not written any further does not mean, I mean, if you stop writing your calendar today, you know, on the 1st of January, you decide you won't stop the calendar, write the calendar anymore. That does not mean that time ends, does it?
0: That makes sense. I can understand that. In terms of the shift that did occur in 2012, what is the new Mm -hmm. cycle known as now within the Maya culture?
1: Mm -hmm. it's known as the fifth sun which is really the idea of the ether because we have uh, the the former four four cycles uh, have covered all the other elements and now we're in the time of ether so um, yeah with that um, we should go into a more spiritual realm Um, yeah but more it's really to see.
0: When it comes to Maya tradition, I wanted to ask you as an anthropologist and your background as an anthropologist, what was the most striking thing that you were impressed with when you started studying the traditions itself that really impressed upon you something that really, uh, that just, it, it just resonated with you. If you were to share that now from your earlier experiences with this,
1: mm-hmm. what would that be? Mm-hmm. Definitely, life within nature, integrated in a way that we have lost, and uh, you see it in everyday behavior—how disconnected we are from from nature in the in the Western or in the industrialized society. I just recently <laughs> I just recently uh, reread the uh, the memoirs of uh, Carl Gustav Jung. And he talked about how as a child, he had this big rock in the back, in the backyard and he would be sitting on the rock and thinking, I sit on this rock. But he was also thinking at the same time, something was telling him in his mind, I am the rock and you sit on top of me. And I thought that described really well the, the really interwovenness with nature that the Maya people live, and they foster it. You know, it's not that a woman uh, could not go out and buy a stove, an electrical stove or a gas stove. I mean, some cannot because of poverty, but some can. But they don't necessarily do it because fire is the center and the hearth represents the center uh, of existence and it's the direct connection into the, the underground and into the, uh, let's say, you know, let's, let's just call it heavens. Why not? Um, and it connects fire is such a strong element that it connects the human being. It keeps him connected. It's also fire is also alive. It is not stale like our electrical light so who are we to say we can just uh uh substitute something that's alive for something that's dead and that we just switch on by our will without understanding why the sun you know the sun goes around and life goes light goes off and 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 comes back on back on later so um The certain arrogance that technology has brought and um, the fact that we just so much believe in in, in Darwinism still and believe that we are on a scale of evolution away from nature uh, is ridiculous. And I think just recently with uh, where climate change is being taken a little bit more and hopefully soon much more uh, serious we are coming around to, understand, to understanding what we have lost and where we need to re, reconnect. And that is part of why I wrote the book, and that is part of what the Maya leader basically indirectly gave, not just me, but the few other, the few other uh, Western visitors that have been, for instance, uh, invited to the 2012 event, uh, take away Take away what we can give you. And, um, you know, and this is, in my case, this is what the book hopefully in a little way can can do. Try to show what this culture can teach us.
0: It and the way that you mm-hmm. approach that. <laughs> I like the way you approach that uh, in the concept of of how to take your point of view or, or try to be, I guess, being able to take what you've learned from your experience in preparing this book and, and using mm-hmm. it as a, a way for us to have a lens on a topic it's that not only. very many people, yeah, and, and not many people through our, our modern day lens can see what you experienced and you're, you're basically interpreting those ancient traditions and wisdom and knowledge and, and deciphering it in this book for us to understand in an encapsulated version from a modern point of view. I hope
1: so. I hope so, Jason. I hope that's, uh, that's what I hope I get. that that's will, what, will resonate. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's,
0: that's, I think you did a phenomenal job with that. And that's what I pick up when I look at your, at your book. Um, one of the concepts I really, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think the fact that you're passionate about this and that you've taken this and you're sharing this passion, it really reads when you, when you go through this project. So it, it, you can tell. Um, I want to ask you about the Maya concept of time being twofold Mm -hmm. with absolute time and ordinary time. Because when we think of time, think of it as a linear concept and it it governs how we move about our day and what we try to do. And how how does, how does that differ from the way the Maya view
1: time? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. The, um, (coughs) excuse me one second. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, first of all, the rationalism and the the enlightenment has forced us to look uh, to understand the world only in one way and only in one way first of all and then in a linear way and i mean if you look at your reality your daily reality multitasking etc etc how can you look at something chronologically it's impossible so there is Um, There is many ways to look at things. And um, uh, my good friend and uh, Mayan uh, spokesperson for the Mayan administration, Jose Luis Tigula, has written in the foreword that the Maya uh, system of time is a systems within systems. So that already shows the complexity. So these people are open. Maybe they cannot always grasp everything either, but they're open to a different complexity of uh, the world. And um, this is something I I believe we need to regain very, very quickly and very, very urgently. Uh, So the... The, the what i'm trying to talk about and uh, what i what i'm preparing now also to, to to write about some more, is the idea of the absolute mm, if you look at mythical life mythos as such um, it is an it is basically an an instrument to remember over generations over long generations remember things without a, without fixing it to time, and that is something that the Maya use a lot, for instance, in their rituals. So um, they do not believe that we constantly, as people, we should could, should constantly invent something new. They uh, try to uh, recapitulate and uh, repeat the originary event, the so-called arché, that uh, is believed the creator gave to their first people uh, and recreate, recreate that to their best knowledge because they believed that in the beginning truth was the most pure. And then as the generations evolved, we got a little confused. We had other interests. We forgot about the gods and we moved away from this truth. And by repetition in rituals, we can remember it pass it on to the next generations and especially revive it so by reviving it we can pass chrono- chronological time time as a as a linear or as as from monday to friday or to sunday does not matter in mythos um it's, um, it's really something where you can time travel because you can eliminate the idea of past and future. And what is much more important than chronolo- chronology is the ontology, meaning what stays in the idea of mythos is the, uh, the sense, of something and the importance and the and the meaning of something rather than if it was on Monday or Friday or if it was uh, 250 million years ago, thousand years ago, or whenever. Uh, so this absolute and ordinary time. Uh, This distinction is also interesting. Of course, the Maya live as human beings in ordinary time. They work and they talk and they have breakfast and um, they, you know, mm, uh, put their shoes on. But at the same time, many of those things are always woven into history, spirituality and nature. And this is exactly what I hope we can regain weave things, weave things by thoughts. Thinking is so is so powerful, and we're giving up on it a little bit, or we, we're only using it for uh, reading books and and uh, learning learning new things. But to think something true is so powerful. I don't want to get political, but I could if I wanted. How important <laughs> and powerful it is to to keep this uh, autonomy, to keep this power uh, of, yeah, of thinking something through. And nature okay. can help us incredibly. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, can Im- I can imagine the connection to nature is something that I feel reverberates as one of the things that as a modern society, we really need to work towards getting back to the basics. And yeah. you could have three, three laptops and your devices, the greatest challenge of all is disconnecting from all those devices going outside and being amongst trees and animals and our natural elements because i feel like that can refresh us is that something that you found is very strong within the maya tradition of recognizing first, first the importance of, of all, nature
1: I mean, uh, Go for, ahead. for even even i when i come back here in you know for back i say like from Guatemala and that in that case where of course the world is very different which i was We'll answer your question in a, in a second. Uh, I sure. struggle. I w- I wake up in the morning and instead of doing prayers, thinking, etc., I am drawn to the computer or to see if uh, somebody, if somebody, you know, who who communicates with me. Um, sure. So so this is something that we just need to be able to dominate and use it as what it is only technology, uh, use it as a tool and not something that rules our world. Sort of like when I was little, my my, my mother let me and my sister um, watch one hour of TV a day. And we chose very, you know, very rationally what we wanted to watch. That does not mean that we always watch the most uh, important or interesting things, but we had one hour and not 24 hours. So it's similar with the computer. Now, the life in nature, with uh, in, in the Mayan world, is so strong that it is still spiritualized and symbolic. Meaning, uh, you may you may walk up, uh, on a path, and not just mostly you walk on on earth, on real ground. You you know you may be upset. Oh, my shoes get all dirty, but hey, you also work. Uh, walk on the earth, which is incredibly um, uh, connecting, in this by itself, without doing anything and without even thinking, you're connected. Um, instead of walking on asphalt, um, and the and something may happen. You know, let's say a dog crosses your road, and somehow something comes into your thoughts by this dog being a carrier of a symbolism or of some kind of a message tree or a bird or something. Somehow uh, the thought and intuitions are much more connected when we're much more easily connected uh, when we're in nature than when we're not.
0: I completely agree with that. I, I, uh... mm-hmm. One of the things I'm fascinated by that you, you got to do is to be able to delve into the traditions of the Maya culture. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is important is the power of dance within the Maya ceremonies. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see if you could mm-hmm. describe that to our audience and exactly what about the power of dance really resonated the most with you when you were a part of these ceremonies or when you observed them.
1: Yes, so those dances within the um, the ceremonies, which of course you know people also go into the nightclub or something, but they don't have a lot of them. But but or some festivity, but those kind of uh, ritual dances are ritual dances. So that means the dancers are prepared ahead before before uh, the dances even starts. So for instance, they. Uh, have to do a special diet. They cannot eat any meat, or you know, basically not eat a lot in the, at all uh, for at least five days prior um, to the to the dance. Um, they take on the dancers take on the role of of the representation of the the figure they dance um, as yeah as a representation. Uh, and during the period of rehearsal of the dance which uh a lot of times uh, goes over months they slowly grow into the role and uh identify with the personage that they are that they're portraying so when it comes to the time of the ritual dancing where they actually put on the uh the um call it costume and masks and uh they have the instruments with it and they do all the path uh, the, the steps that with their co dancers that have been um, danced like that for for many 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 centuries um they are in in that person basically they uh one dancer explained it once to me a young man that he totally connects with uh, the energy of that uh, of that person, so he feels he feels the um, it, uh, in existing in reality this energy, and he becomes it, and he reenacts it, and he, that way rejuvenates the meaning of uh, of that certain dance and rituals and ritual, and all the people watching. Um, they participate. they know they understand they know what it's about they they see and that dance and mask somehow they can also um get into that movement and um and feel what it's about and be touched by by that energy and then of course, there is other stances that are a little more popular, you know just for fun or for children, and uh, not that serious, or that um may uh, work work through historic problems. Let's say, for instance, with the with the conquistadors, with the European invaders, or even with um, today tourists and invaders that are not always sensitive. They are uh, personages in, in dances uh, that are being incorporated into the Maya world.
0: And some of these dances, they are thousands of years in traditions, is that correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, mm-hmm. I noticed that you mentioned that in your book. You talked about that they date back some of them to the classic period of Maya civilization, which is like two hundred fifty AD to nine hundred AD. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Tell us you described part of your of your experience, the Palo Val volador, and I know my pronunciation, I apologize for that. But I wanted Palo, you to Palo tell volador. us what that is.
1: Palo volador. Mm-hmm. Palo Volador.
0: Okay. If yeah. you could tell us a little about it and its importance and the, the the significance of it within the Maya tradition, I think our audience mm-hmm. would really appreciate that.
1: Yeah. So the Palo de Volador resembles the Axis Mundi, the tree of life. And again, what happens there is a rejuvenation of life. Uh, a, uh, the authorities go into the woods. And uh, choose a certain tree that basically one of the trees to them. And because it's animated, everything is animated, talking about nature, right? Everything is animated. So everything has a soul. So everything can speak to you, maybe not with words, but in another form, if you're prepared and receptive. And if you're part of that nature, if you're connected, then you can actually hear it. Uh, So they go into the woods and... uh, shoes, so to say, or take that tree uh, down that is going to be ritually cut and bring it back to the center of town. Uh, There it is erected uh, on important um, festivities as, for instance, around the solstice, uh, the winter solstice around uh, 21st of December each year. And um, then the uh, the five dancers, you could call, or they're called the Palo Voladores. Palo means uh, basically stick, meaning the tree, uh, which of course the branches have been taken off. And volador is uh, means flying, so it's the flying stick or a flying. There's another word, not stick. I just in English I can't think of it. A big stick. <laughs> the tree okay. is very, 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 very high, and. Um, there is a mechanism how those dancers can crawl up and can can go up. And on the top there is a wooden mechanism that rotates. And the uh, the fifth or let's say the first um, man, he sits in the middle of that construction, like really high up, thirty meters or or I don't know. I don't want to invent something, but really high. And uh, he the flout, the flute and the other the other ones are uh, mm, bound on a rope uh, to the a rope is bound to their foot and to that wooden construction construction and as that wooden construction goes around the rotates around the, uh, the pole uh, they let go and mostly head down sometimes head up they rotate around the plaza around the pole and the as they rotate the uh, the rope uh, unties and uh, gets longer and longer until eventually they reach the ground and before they reach the ground they're flying rotating in the air uh, representing the four directions of the world and uh, which are very important in my consciousness and they harmonize the world this way. The they also uh, the system of the four directions, but also the pole that um, connects the underworld and the what what I want to call that the heavens, just for to be simple, um, are six points that are you know that are that important in mind consciousness and that are to be harmonized. That is one of the goals uh, at every important uh, time, um, time moment or or like the solstice, for instance. Very interesting. Mm. The
0: process that you went through to become a Mayan shaman priestess, can you describe that process itself, uh, what you had to undergo in order yeah, to yeah. Ach- achieve that step, I know you had a mentor and I know that you had yeah. a spiritual journey you particularly um went experienced. Can you can you share us uh, with us a, a, a how that went for you and what you can recall about yeah. it? Yeah. specifically?
1: First of all first of all, I mean there's much more in the book because I really go in quite a lot of detail. I cannot share absolutely everything but you know, but uh, sure. but the, the idea the idea is clear. First of all, what I want to see, want to say, of course, there are very different, many different stages of being a, a shaman shaman priest, and uh, I'm not claiming to be uh, 70 years old or 100 years old and being an incredibly powerful um, Maya shaman. Okay, so that first of all I want to make clear, but I am initiated, so I have the right to use. Uh, certain things, and to even, um, yeah, to um, to certain interpretations and 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 so on. So first of all, one has to be accepted by the luminous beings to even undergo that. So the the mentor, um, even without you, checks. With those luminous beings, if he can take you if he or she can take you on as a disciple um in my case uh, I don't know how it's for other people, I suppose similar, but in my case, I had a few events where uh where I saw the acceptance my also myself or felt it um and that I'm describing in the book, and some and and um some of them also were. Much, much before I even came to the land of the Maya, um, uh, I was approached by, um, by my mentor uh, who suggested that I should get initiated. Um, at first, I didn't see the sense. I saw myself as an uh, anthropologist. And um, I mean, I did know that there is something else too, but I didn't quite believe that I would have capacities or something like that even though in a way I, I knew so um, so then we determine the date because of course everything is done by the calendar And um, I would just like to, to note that the uh, time is not only quantity for the Mayans but it's mainly quality meaning uh, these days these day energies in the calendar are really considered to be alive and they have each day has a different. Each of those twenty times thirteen days has a different uh, different quality. So um, you need to be, get initiated with each of those qualities. So basically, the initiation takes two hundred sixty days. The twenty uh, day energies times their thirteen frequencies. And um what am I saying? It does not take two hundred sixty days because you initiate only with uh, strong frequencies. you do not initiate with one uh, frequency when the day is in, in one to seven uh but only when it's higher uh, above above the frequency of seven so um the as I said, each day has a different uh, energy, and as you go through the ceremonies um you start feeling them, you start to get connected to them. The uh, the Maya count time. Uh, they don't call themselves shaman, they call themselves day keeper or day counter. Uh so by counting those, let's say thirteen times one energy sign and then the next thirteen times, uh you connect with that energy, and during that field of uh, this, while you count those to, from one to thirteen and and sacrifice at the same time into the fire, um, um, how do you say, like well-smelling things or beautiful flowers or or um, you know things that that you sacrifice into the fire. Um, why that time this energy has a chance so to say or is present and has a chance to connect with you and give you certain messages that is within its realm of that energy so for instance um, there is an energy that has to do with advice there is an energy that is um, uh, for justice that has everything to do with justice and right and what's right what's not right there may be an energy that has to do with water uh, but also everything has like many many nuances so water uh which is also because fluid and it's um, in a way i would almost say neptune like um it also has to do with the arts and uh, but in its negative form it can also have to do with craziness if you have too much of this energy you can go crazy if you have the right balance you can do beautiful art and um, so then there is an energy that has to do with wind another one that has to do with unraveling time unraveling the world Yeah. Did I answer the question a little bit or?
0: Yes. Oh, no, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and I know that there's a lot, your book's much more extensive than what we can do in a 60 minute period. So I know that there's going to be things that you touch on and I'd encourage our Mm -hmm. audience to read your full book because I feel that they're going to get the big picture complete by seeing the actual chronology that you provide in it and which details your, your individual experiences. Um, Mm Well. One of the things one of the things I want to ask you about future telling how does that work in the tradition, and what was your experience with it
1: um well it, it, it was not it is <laughs> it's, it's ongoing Okay. but um but um because the Maya look at time cyclic they there is a point where time comes back to the same point. So if you keep things more or less the same as they always were, and I explained that before, that repetition is really an asset, it's really a quality to them, not inventing the new and going away from what uh, what has been given given to them by by the first people and, and their creator. Uh so if you if you try to keep things the same uh, in a way, then then things have not moved away too much so that you cannot see anymore what happened. Now, when, when time cycles back to a certain point, uh, the same conditions are, or very similar conditions are, are being given. And so you can do the same thing into the past and into the future. And the know fast cycles of time, I mean, there is a cycle that is called Alaftun, that is twenty three billion years uh, uh long and um of course mostly they they um they operate with with smaller you see the for one you you see the the vast amount of imagination uh that they that they manage and um secondly that they uh function on various levels not just on on that linear level. So uh, that is one thing to consider. And then there are various other methods how to mm, how to look into the future. And one of it is through the cte beans, which you are initiated with. They are basically <laughs> when when I received my my GK beams, beans, uh, which are three uh, two hundred sixty. Uh, beans uh of the i forgot the name of the tree now but you can that's something you can look up on google t-e-i-t-e um 260 because each one is connected to one of the uh of these day energies right 20 times 13 frequencies 260 Uh, so there is a way how to Use them, and mainly because in initiation you are connected with them, so they when they speak to you. But you do have to stay kind of pure. You you know, as far as eating and as far as living, has to be a certain purity. Otherwise, the connection does not really work. Um, and you have to be honor honor those energies and make do the ceremonies constantly or, or you know through the prayers constantly stay in touch if you interrupt that for too long then the chances that you get disconnected are, are very high um, so when you connect it then you get messages through these yeah with help of these beings I tell a little bit more in in the book Um, I think yeah consider the time maybe I'll just say that for now
0: okay I have a question as well. You mentioned that the Maya are able to communicate with their ancestors through the sacred fire. I want to see if you could yeah. kind of describe that for our audience in terms of what that means.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the fire is alive, so it speaks, it speaks to us. And uh, there is all kinds of ways, which also I described a few of them, uh, how fire can be interpreted, and also manipulated, but that's another story um how fire can be interpreted and how the ancestors come down and uh when you you know it's like reading when you know what a means you can say amen uh when you know what uh, you know what uh, two and two that two and two is four then you understand it's four and you can build a house of of four of four posts um so here too when you know how uh, fire what the language of the fire is um then you can read what the ancestors are saying you know and in the ceremonies a lot of times uh, the ancestors or someone comes down to the fire and even dances in the fire because it's as i explained earlier it's alive it is an element it is pure nature like blood the uh uh, I was talking about this recently in another interview that blood, of course, is the number one um, element of communications with uh, our ancestors and the numinous beings because it 's your personal and only your information in the DNA so the so when they used to do or in the, in a little bit in a little way still do the uh, blood um, blood sacrificing then it 's a direct communication. You don't need to pray too long. You don't need to do anything. It's a very direct communication that uh, works immediately. on um, fire is is a strong, you know, the strong one as well.
0: We're yeah. running low on time.
1: Yeah. I did want to ask.
0: <laughs> it goes fast. It goes fast. It really does.
1: Mm-hmm. I wanted
0: to ask you about your involvement with the Forum of World Cultures for our audience, just to get a little background on -hmm. on that for you and your experience with it, if you can describe that for us.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, you know, since we escaped uh, Czechoslovakia when I was two, and I grew up in Germany and then in in, in different other countries, I've always been an observer of cultures, somehow always being with one foot inside, with one foot outside. So cultures, different cultures and what they have to say. Has been important and interesting to me, and not just with the Maya, but with many, with in, in many other ways. And so I created Forum of World Cultures, uh, and uh, for several years uh, was doing. I want to say was because the book helped me up so much. Now for the last two or three years that I haven't been that, we have we haven't been that active in the last three years. Um, and I think it's going to take another year until I can get back to it fully. Um, so uh, through exhibitions, through just creating awareness, through seminars, through a lot of other things, inter interconnecting different cultures.
0: That's great. If anyone is interested in, obviously they can purchase this book through Amazon and other other you know avenues. If if anyone was interested in wanting to reach out to you personally, where would you direct them to?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, they can go to my website or on Facebook and join the group Transcendent with some of the Maya. And, um, okay. yeah, and there is a way to connect. In
0: and in, a, in in terms of a last note for this interview, if there's anything that you'd want our audience to remember about the Maya, what would that be and why?
1: They're great and they have a lot to grow. They're not perfect. <laughs> They're human, just like we yeah. are. Mm-hmm. But the there's a lot of different people. I mean, don't get me wrong, not everybody has the full knowledge. uh I was lucky that i uh, that I could learn from people that do have a lot of knowledge, but um not everybody does, so you know, like in our society too, let's be kind to those who don't um, but um generally, the Maya as such has a lot to teach us, okay.
0: Well, thank you for coming on the show and sharing this information with us. I find it very informative, and I love having your viewpoints as an anthropologist, but more importantly, as a human being, going and and spending your time in Guatemala and, and acquiring this information to share with us. And I really think your book, Transcendent Wisdom of the Maya, The Ceremonies and Symbolism of a Living Tradition, is a great read for anyone interested in learning more about this culture, and also just having an opportunity to study a civilization that's very important to learn about and and to take note of. And in that respect, I really thank you for making this part of your your journey in life and and sharing this with us.
1: You're welcome, Jason, and I thank you for your wonderful show. where You bring so much interesting uh, topics to, to your listeners.
0: Great. Thank you so much. And I look forward if you have any future uh, things as you, I know you you mentioned you might be working on other stuff down there. I'd love to have you back on the show and discuss this topic in further depth uh, as we move forward. So keep me abreast of that. Thank you. And I appreciate it. Be well. Okay.
1: Bye to all the listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Have a great afternoon. Bye. I just want to thank Gabriella for appearing on our show and discussing her new book transcendent wisdom of the Maya, the ceremonies and symbolism of a living tradition. A lot of what we learn about and acquire is from reading shared experiences from others. Gabriela offers a great opportunity for us to learn more in depth uh, about the spiritual tradition of the Maya culture, their teachings, and how they looked at the world through their viewpoint. And that's why I think this particular work is very important in guiding us uh, as junior anthropologists and those of us who are interested in learning about how the Maya valued spiritual wisdom, how they looked at things such as time and space, and the cyclical order of things. I encourage you, if you have an interest in this, to definitely pick up this book and to look at this information for sure. As always, thank you for tuning in to this episode. And with season two, I look forward to bringing you various perspectives and points of view to hopefully give you an opportunity to expand how you look at the world through your set of lenses and uh, on occasion to create a paradigm shift where possible.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time.
0: podcasts.